from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life. So glad you're here. Listening in on a conversation, the one we have every week, exploring all those things related to work and the rest of your life, your family, community, our society, and of course, your private self, mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm the founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and of our leadership program. I run a management consulting and training company. It's called Total Leadership. And if you visit totalleadership.org, you can find information about what we do to help people and organizations find harmony among the different parts of life while improving performance in all of them. New episodes of this show premiere Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM channel 132. And you can follow us on Twitter at SXM Business, as well as me at Stu Friedman. And you can get uh, copies of this show as a podcast a bit after it appears on the radio at totalleadership.org. Well, I'm really excited about today's show uh, because we have an expert who's going to help us on a, an issue that really everyone is dealing with. So many of us have been living at home and working from home, living at work for this past year using different forms of technology uh, that we've not been accustomed to in the way that we've been using them uh, as, as have our children uh, and really everyone. My guest today says that we need to remember that technology is a tool, not a means to an end, and that to forge lasting relationships, we have to focus on being intentional and authentic. And there are ways that you can be better at that, uh, to be able to reconnect, or to connect and reconnect as people. You have a question about that? Well, my guest today is, is going to provide some answers uh, based on her new book. It's called The Lost Art of Connecting, The Gather, Ask, Do Method for Building Meaningful Relationships. I'm delighted to introduce Susan McPherson. Susan is the founder and CEO of McPherson Strategies a communications consultancy. Susan, welcome to Work and Life. I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you, Stu. Well, it's great to have you here. Let me tell listeners just a bit about you before we jump into our conversation. Uh, Susan has over 25 years of experience in marketing, public relations, and sustainability communications, speaking regularly at industry conferences and contributing to the Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, and Forbes, She's been featured on NPR, CNN, USA Today, The New Yorker, and other leading outlets. She is a Vital Voices global corporate ambassador and has received numerous accolades for her voice on social media platforms from Fortune Magazine, Fast Company, L Magazine. She resides in my hometown, Brooklyn, New York. All right, Susan, so glad you're here. Um, so how can I help you, Susan? <laughs> well, <laughs> you're doing, you actually helping me right now, talking about the book. Why is that the best question? Because every single one of us needs a helping hand. I don't care who you are, whether you're the wealthiest person on the planet mm -hmm. or, you know, anyone else, we all can use a little bit of support. For sure. Uh, and it's a message I try to communicate regularly to my students who hear it a lot better than my children seem to hear it. Um, do you have any specific off the top advice? Because I always like to have advice from guests that help me with my particular issues. How do I get my kids to realize that they need more help than they're asking me for? Uh, and, and I mean, I don't mean that to be, you know, throwing my kids under the bus here, but really to address the question of, you know, there's people who, who, are, who are reluctant for all kinds of reasons to ask for help. Why is it that we are, so many people are inhibited about requesting help? Well, I, um, my whole thesis of my book is leading with how can I help of others? Mm -hmm. right? 
what I'm, I, I am not an expert in asking for help. <laughs> I am, I, I am an expert in helping people offer help. <laughs> Got it. Uh, if, if that makes any sense. Um, no, it's, it's, it's a different, it's, it, it, it's certainly a different voice and a different, a different position in a relationship for sure, but they go together, right? Well, we, I mean, traditionally when we were quote unquote taught to network, it was a grab mentality. It was, Mm -hmm. what can I get? What can I walk away with? What are the business cards that I can have? What are the LinkedIn connections I can make? As opposed to what do I have to offer? What can I look into myself and realize that I have special skills and special superpowers that I can offer? So when I walk into a room, it isn't about what am I going to take away, but what am I going to give? How am I going to serve? How am I going to help? At the same time, in order to be able to uh, give, you know, intelligently, let me use that term. Maybe, maybe you'll disagree with my use of it, but in order to, uh, to be smart about what it is that you can offer to other people, it's, it's useful to know what it is that they need help with. Right. Of course. Well, in my book, the, the methodology is called gather as do, and I'm happy to explain it, which might totally answer your questions if, if we're ready to get there. But. Well, I, I, we, we will get there. Um, so, so yes, um, let, give, us, give us the brief sort of headline overview of this uh, simple but not simplistic model that you've, yeah. that you've um, organized to help people understand um, how to be able to connect in a way that's artful and effective. Sure. Um, it's gather as do. And the gather component is first doing a uh, deep dive to find out what is a meaningful connection to you, okay? Because Stu, what a meaningful connection to you may be very different than it is to me. And then it is determining what is the community you want to build around you that is going to actually help you meet your goals. At the same time, you want to be thinking about what is it that you and only you have to offer? What is your superpower or superpowers or what I call in the book, your chief differentiating factors that you can then bring to the fold. Hmm. The next is the ask. And that is learning to ask the right questions. And this addresses what you just brought up. Asking the right questions so you can find out how you can be helpful. Learning the right questions to ask so that you can understand where other people are coming from. What is challenging for them right now? And then while you are asking, you do the all-important listening, which humans are woefully bad at. What? Sorry, can you repeat that? I wasn't listening. Oh, (laughs) I was listening very intently, just being stupid and illustrating the kind of thing that happens every, well, every day to so many of us, right? It's hard to listen. It's hard to listen, especially during this pandemic when we not only have you know, our email pinging at us, but, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, WhatsApp, texting, phone ringing, children, dogs, you name it. So believe me, I understand that that is a huge challenge. Mm -hmm. But if you listen carefully after and during that you're asking these questions, you can then go to the all important do. And that is when you unleash your superpowers and be able to help in some shape, way or form. And that help can be through introductions to others, follow through, uh, connections, um, advice, you name it. But we all have the capacity to help. And it doesn't have to be the next day or the next week. So this methodology is something that can be used time after time. I would Mm -hmm. suggest it's not something that's one and done and you put on the shelf and walk away from it. So um, connecting is your superpower. Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm saying that because you claim that as your superpower. It's the first thing you say to the reader in your wonderful book, The Lost Art of Connecting. What does that mean? And, and to you, and, and how did that idea occur to you? Sure. Well, it was seated in me at a very young age. I was birthed by two parents who are extra- extraordinarily um, well gifted in the connection uh, capacity. Um, my mother worked in public relations for public television, and my father was a professor. Oh who taught uh, at a women's college for 40 years. So he not only stayed in touch with his former students, but he would have daughters of his former students and then granddaughters of his former students. Get out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his memorial service back in 2008 was, you know, entire lineages of families that had him as a professor. That's amazing. 
but he would stay in touch with them. And at the breakfast table in upstate New York in the late 60s, early 70s, there would be five newspapers spread out with my parents having a scissors or a, you know, um, a razor blade clipping articles, which they, they would put into typical postal mail uh, with a little tan, excuse me, typewritten missive saying, thinking of you, cousin Harry, or thinking of you, student Joan, or thinking of you, colleague Jonathan. And mm. that was a daily occurrence. So wow. I assumed everyone did that. Um, and that was normal in your household. It was completely normal. And now, it, which town in upstate New York is this? It's a town called Latham, New York. It's Latham? North, north of Albany, between Albany and Saratoga. Got it. I went to Binghamton as an undergrad. Okay. okay. Yeah. So I'm somewhat familiar with that terrain. Beautiful country up there. All right. So around the dinner table or at the kitchen table, this is what your parents were doing every day. Yeah, absolutely. There was never, I mean, we used to joke that they kept the postal service in business. Um, (laughs) And I I kept that going. I mean, it's interesting. Once I got a fax machine, I was able to do it in real time. Can you explain what a fax machine is to those listeners who don't know what it is? (laughs) This way it's faster than the mail but it's a hell of a lot slower than email and okay I, that's a good way to describe it <laughs> and i will kid you not that there's probably faxes that are still out there in the ether that never got to their destination because i never quite figured out how to use the damn machines seriously so they made a regular habit and taught you by example what it means to be thinking of other people and and maintaining uh connections through offering uh, resources, ideas to people um, as just part of how they lived and breathed. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to be curious. Um, mm. I, I, as a kid, I used to say to my mom, why are you working for public television when you could make so much more money working for one of the other three networks? Yeah. That there was back then. And she always said to me, it's the content. It, it, it public television content is far superior and will teach people and educate people. And of course, mm-hmm. my dad being a professor, you know, it was always that, that, you know, look beyond, always question, always, always be curious. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think to be a meaningful connector, you do need to always lead with curiosity because you're, you're never going to be, in other words, you're always going to want to learn more. And uh, I find the ultimate gift you can give others is to be curious about them and curious about what motivates them and, 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 and not make judgments based on preconceived notions. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's such an important word of advice. It reminds me of uh, the phrase, I think it was attributed to John Gardner, um, you know, to be interested rather than interesting ought to be your aim instead of trying to impress people uh be curious about them let me remind listeners this is work and life you're listening to on business radio sirius xm 132 i'm your host Stu friedman and i'm speaking today with susan mcpherson who's the author of the wonderful and extremely practical and so important new book it's called the lost art of connecting the gather ask do method for building meaningful relationships, whether that's in person or not, right? So um, the, the, the act of engaging your curious mind and being interested in other people, that probably, if I can circle back to the question I asked you earlier, how do you help people tell you what it is that they need help with? If you express curiosity about them, it's likely that they're more, you know, open to telling you what it is that they're wrestling with that they need help with, right? Of course, of course. I mean, the vast majority of people aren't just going to come and like unload, (laughs) you know? Right. Um, Help! Help! (laughs) Give me money. Give Uh, me attention. Yeah, but but I I think in, in, you know, in the book, there's actually a chapter that gives actual questions that you can ask people that are going to elicit more meaningful responses, you know, questions that are not like, what is the weather in Cleveland today? Or what did you have for lunch today? But it's boring, <laughs> boring and won't lead you anywhere. Right. Effective, I mean- yeah. So, so what, what's it, what, what's one of your favorite openings to help get to a, a layer below the surface? 
Sure. Well, obviously the elephant in the room right now is how are you actually really doing? And is there anything that you need help with given this, you know, global horror show we're all living through? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I mean, we are in a a collective moment where, you know, 99% of the world is suffering in some shape, way or form. Obviously some people far more extraordinarily so. Mm -hmm. Um, Or when this pandemic is done, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Um, Or if you could solve one problem in the next month and you had all the superpowers you had at your disposal to do so, what would that problem be and how? Mm-hmm. And those types of questions actually give you a sense of who someone is and what their hopes and dreams are. I, I want to answer those questions, but I, I'm not going to do that now, Susan. But it, I say that simply to indicate to you that, yeah, those are evocative and those those express an interest in things that, well, anyone can tell you about. Yeah. And so what happens then when you when you ask questions that are more more real than how's the weather? then you obviously listen, make note, um, Mm. and you follow through. And the follow through doesn't mean you have to solve their problems, but one of the greatest gifts we can give other people is the recognition that we heard them, we saw them, we listened to them, Mm. and you follow up and you make note of it. And perhaps in some capacity, you connect them to somebody or you offer up, you know, they they told you that they have this deep-seated passion for hummus and you happen to know the best hummus in Brooklyn, and you are able to let them know. I mean, I'm being silly, but the point is... is Hardly. <laughs> hummus is important. <laughs> but when you listen to people, you then can make note. And I go so far sometimes as you did earlier in the conversation where you asked me to repeat myself. Um, there's nothing wrong with doing that. I oh. also carry a notepad around with me, and I actually and you know remind myself, because as I get older, my memory isn't quite as excuse me, snappy as it was when I was younger. Tell me about it. Yeah. and But there's nothing wrong. In other words, when you say to somebody, can you repeat that? It mm-hmm. means you actually care about what they're saying. I know. Yeah. Right. Yes. 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 I mean, it demonstrates unequivocally that you are paying attention to yeah. what they are saying. Exactly. Right. There's no, there's no better way to do that than to reflect back your understanding of what people say to you or inquire further if there's something that they've said that's unclear. Yeah. And yet so many people are afraid to ask the question, um, wait, I'm not sure I understood what you meant there. Could you please repeat that? Or could you or say clarify. it another way? Right? Why are we afraid to, to do that? We think we're going to offend the speaker? You know, I don't know. I think we're just on to our next thing. No. Oh. Mm. Lazy. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that is a, an essential aspect of what it is that you're you know, challenging and, and guiding people to do. Right. Is to is to be a, a bit more intentional and disciplined about about asking, about gathering and asking. Yeah. Right. So that so that the, the do part then becomes kind of easy if, right. if you're paying attention uh, when you're asking. Do I have it right? You absolutely do. And the beauty is, is the magic that ensues when you can actually make the do. <laughs> um, because you then become somebody who's considered reliable, trustworthy, someone who follows through, somebody, the proverbial sub person who gets the SHIT done. Okay. Those are we can say qualities. shit here. That we're on serious. <laughs> it's okay. All right. But those are those are good but, qualities to have. Yeah. Well, not only really good, uh, but essential. Yeah. Right. For, to build trust and have people around you who see you as someone who is helpful rather than selfish. Uh, there, there are very few things that are more important than that. If you want to lead yep. uh, in your life and, and get people to come along with you in a direction that you want to go. Absolutely. So um, let, let's talk about the role of technology in, in, in using the, the method of gather, ask and do what, what are the critical things for people to know that you write about in The Lost Art of Connecting with respect to the use of modern tools for communication? Well, the original impetus for the book was long before the pandemic. Um, oh. And it was really about my reaction to the fact that we had become slaves to the clicks and the likes and the followers. And that became the measure for how we were successful at connecting and networking, including me. 
Okay. And I felt that that was something very, very wrong with that. I also, what's, what's wrong with that? Because that's not meaningful connecting. Just having followers doesn't, but, 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 there's no, there's no interaction that's happening. Okay. What does it signify? I think it's a status symbol now. It's, mm-hmm. it, it, it signifies, you know, power in the new, in the new economy, in, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't signify shit happening. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, you're not, you're not making impact happen. You're not, you know, connecting to people and helping them fund a company or, you know, support a startup or help someone get a job by the number of followers you have. Mm-hmm. 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 So, so you found you were dissatisfied with that as a, perhaps with yourself is I think what you're yeah, suggesting. I mean, exactly. Your I mean, hunger for, for followers or I, I, that's my word that you somehow realize, wait a minute, this is, this isn't right. Well, and I will tell you another quick story that also put me over the edge. And that is that my friend, when she would drop her 10 year old and 12 year old off at the bus stop and she would hug them goodbye and then send them on their way and they would get up on the bus and they would take their respective seats. And as soon as she saw the bus drive away, their heads went down. And they immediately were looking at their handheld devices. And then she looked around at every other child on the school bus and they were doing the same thing. Mm. And I don't know about you, Stu, but when I was on the school bus, I actually talked to people. Um, Now, believe me, I had some awful bus stories. (laughs) However, you know, it was it was not a moment of just diving into myself. Um, It was a moment to, like, connect with my my fellow students and classmates. Mm. Uh, So with both of that, I, I started to think, hmm. And then on top of that, I had numerous people saying to me, Susan, you're so masterful at connecting people. When are you going to write a book? And it was then that I actually sat down to really develop the methodology that I had been using, mm-hmm. but I just hadn't actually enunciated and articulated. Well, can you teach this method to children? I believe so. I think what you have to do, though, is make them understand what is the positive outcome. What is the magic that's going to happen mm-hmm. when they actually think about what they can offer to the world rather than what they can get to the world? Mm-hmm. I deal with children. So it, it is, you know, I am certainly not an expert on passing this on to children, but I can tell you that when you are coming out of college right now, it is absolutely tantamount and paramount that you start building communities, which is very, very hard in the world we're living in right now. What do you mean? Because we are stuck, isolated. Mm. Oh, you mean physically in pandemic life? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And what can you be doing right now with your, you know, your own existing community using the gather and do method to actually start building the connections that are going to help you reach your goals, whether they are your first job or, you know, your, your, um, you know, your first scholarship to graduate school or what have you. Um, I don't know about you, Stu, but everything that is good that has happened to me in life has happened through the support of others. Of course. Yes. No, I think that's, that's universally the case for all of us humans. Uh, and that's been true across cultures uh, as well as over time. Uh, and, and, and yet it's, it's an idea that uh, isn't really given very systematic attention in our education system. That's why I'm curious to know what your experience has been or your ideas about how we as a society and you know parents in specific can engender this kind of mindset in our kids and, and so you were you were saying that you start with you know, the value or impact mm-hmm. that such an approach can have um wh- what would you say to a teenager to I get them i would demonstrate things that have happened in my life um i would make it personal i mean i launched my company at the age of 48 and now eight years later, 98% of the business has been inbound. Okay. That didn't happen just because I turned the lights on. That happened because in my twenties and my thirties, I was meeting with people, opening doors for people, helping people, connecting people. Okay. That is very much proof in the pudding. And, and I feel very confident about that. I might not have been able to say that in my thirties or forties, mm-hmm. but you know, when I can show the books, to a 20 something. And it wasn't like in my 20s, Stu, that everyone I met with, I was thinking, you know, in 25 years, I'm going to run a company and I'm going to come calling. Of course not. 
What were you thinking? Definitely not that. I <laughs> never, ever, ever, ever had the dream or hope or even fleeting thought to be an entrepreneur. I am an accidental entrepreneur and uh, found myself um, in a, oh no, I've got to find a job. And I literally hung a shingle out to, to do some, I, you know, very um, graciously was offered a couple of consulting gigs to quote unquote, tied me over. And I was so nervous that I left the company I was working for on a Friday and started consulting on a Monday because I thought both the organizations were going to change their mind. Hmm. And I had a paycheck since I was 15. Hmm. So, so, well, so, <laughs> so, but in your, in your earlier days, you were, you, you had this mindset and, and a skill set that you'd, that been cultivated at home that you then saw later uh, the fruits of, and, yep. and I want to talk more about that when we, we have to take a short break here, but also about working from home, you know, living at work, what we've learned from the pandemic about connecting meaningfully. Uh, so stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. I'll be continuing my conversation with Susan McPherson about her book, The Lost Art of Connecting. I'm Stu Friedman. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome back to Work and Life. So glad you're here. I am your host, Stu Friedman, founder of Total Leadership, a management consulting and training company dedicated to helping individuals and organizations find harmony among the different parts of life. I've been a professor at the Wharton School since 1984. And my guest today is Susan McPherson. She is the founder and CEO of McPherson Strategies and author of a wonderful new book, super practical. It's called The Lost Art of Connecting, the gather, ask, do method for building meaningful relationships. So accidental entrepreneur, you, 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 grew, you grew McPherson Strategies in, in part because of the... Uh, power of the relationships that you'd already established in the many, many years before. And that is a persuasive story um, to young people. But, you know, you can start taking this approach at any stage in life, right? Absolutely. And the sooner, the better, honestly. Yes, because as your example illustrates, the value uh, compounds over yeah. time. Oh, for sure. For sure. Right. So. Um, back to the pandemic and, and what you've discovered, what you, what you see your clients wrestling with, um, have, have the bonds as we, you know, know each other's worlds a little bit better because we can see each other into each other's, you know, apartments or living rooms or wherever we're, we're talking from, uh, seeing, you know, pets and children crawl by, uh, have the bonds, the human connections among people, in Zoomland, changed. Um, that, that that's where I want to begin the conversation of what else you've seen and what it means for us going forward uh, as a result of this massive experiment that we've all had to suffer through in the pandemic. Well, it, interestingly enough, I started to write my book in February, and of course, came March. The whole world shut down, and all we February twenty twenty. And all we had were the clicks and likes and followers to, to really connect with one another. Mm. But over the course of writing the book, which was really from February through September, I interviewed um, a significant number of individuals who are very much um, known connectors and known leaders in their own right. Mm -hmm. that have made community building and connection extraordinarily powerful and meaningful. So right there, talking to them gave me hope that when we came out of this, we would carry with us this notion that we're never going to go back. In other words, you know, we now know how vitally important connections are that maybe we took for granted before. And maybe I'm being overly optimistic, but I do believe this quote unquote awful experiment that we have all been through is leading us with much more of a desire to connect on a deeper level. I will also say is we've gotten much more intentional about our communications. And perfect example is, you know, the chat 
function in Zoom and the chat function in the various online video platforms we're using, where we can actually have side conversations with people in meetings. Now, if you recall, when we used to be in the obligatory meeting after meeting after meeting, you couldn't have, you couldn't have conversations during a meeting, right? I mean, you could, but you might get in trouble. Um, and I'm not suggesting that you, in a Zoom meeting, that you show disrespect for whoever is leading the meeting, but it doesn't mean that you can't be side channeling and asking people, how are they doing? Is there anything they need some help with, mm -hmm. given the challenge that we're all facing and mm -hmm. given the fact that we all are collectively vulnerable right now. Mm -hmm. So I think if anything, during this year, we are not only learning a very painful lesson, and that is that we never want to go without the meaningful connections again, but also that te technology can be a powerful thing and it can be done with intent. And it doesn't have to be all about the clicks and the likes, but it can be used as a means to connect on a, on a more deep, deep level. And I will just tell you also a side note. Yeah. I have totally alone for 12 months, um, 13 months now. I am, uh, I don't have parents, I don't have children, and I don't have a significant other. So that's a long time for someone who is definitely not an introvert to be by, my, by myself. And honestly, if it wasn't for my phone and my WhatsApp and my text, I'd probably go Lulu. <laughs> um, and every day I would reach out to three to five people. Um, in whatever whatever means struck my fancy at that time. Mm -hmm. But it would be as simply as I'm thinking of you. Are you okay? Do you need anything? Or even, hey, I'm here, don't forget me. Hmm. And to me, I mean, granted, I I, you know, am a bit more of an extrovert, obviously, than a lot of people, but that just those those doing that every day helped keep me somewhat solvent. How did it make you feel? Oh, you, I would get the dopamine. Um, and the dopamine. <laughs> By that you mean what exactly? The dopamine. I get a hit. spark of joy. I get a spark of joy in my brain, mm. and also maybe the person on the receiving end would get a spark of joy. How's that different than getting another follower on your Twitter feed? You know that's a really good question um, because there's actually an interaction. Hmm. And how do you mean an interaction? Oh, you mean like when somebody, when you Response. see somebody new following you, when, when somebody is yeah. following you, they it's, are. It's, it's a very passive, you know, I mean, unless I respond back and say, thank you for following, which I right. actually do. Uh -huh. um, but again, you know, I, I think this is, this is the, the, when somebody follows you, that doesn't necessarily mean they're thinking of you. That just means uh, they want to be following what you're doing. I, yeah. I, I hope there's a, I, I hope I'm, Sharing well, it's up. it's very thin and and very you know brief, right? There's not there's no real substance to the to the exchange. There is a connection happening, but it's but it's it's really minute, and yep. it's not there's nothing in it that says I want to know more about you or right. I, I'm interested in helping you. But there is, I mean, we know that these systems are designed in an addictive way, and that you know there is there is something in our brains that is that is triggered when, when we have acknowledgement in that, in that way. But the, the kind of feeling that you get that you were describing uh, from actually hearing from somebody with words that are particular to you, you know, someone expressing interest in yeah. you, uh, that makes, that makes you feel good when you're bo on both sides of the equation. Absolutely. So, how does staying connected in in this way um, affect you know the other relationships in your life? So you know much much of your focus in the book, of course, is on work relationships and, and careers, and it's you know extremely valuable and important in that domain. I like to ask about you know on this show that has to do with the relationship between work and the rest of life. How having uh, a network of support in your work life, how that affects you in the other parts of your life, your family, your community, and your own, you know, health and well-being. Sure. Well, first of all, in the research I did for the book, I learned that when you have meaningful relationships throughout your life, you live longer. You also are going to be a far more productive and successful employee. There's research up and down the chart to, to, to prove that. Um, and I learned about 15 years ago that there isn't a work Susan and a home Susan. 
it was exhausting trying to be two people and mm. I'm actually one person. And the same, uh, the same, um, I don't know, genes, but the same passions and the same things that inspire me, I bring to my work as I bring to my, my personal life. And yeah. the people that I have surrounded myself and I continue to surround myself blend to this, you know, beautiful um, kind of overlap Mm -hmm. of people who we help each other professionally, personally, mm -hmm. um, romantically. And, and there isn't this gigantic wall. And look at, I'm sitting here in my living room talking to you. I mean, this entire year has blurred any kind of disparate lines. Now, yes, if we do go back to a quote unquote office, there will be decorum that perhaps has maybe fallen by the wayside a bit. But again, the studies and the research that I found is when a, when the C-suite of a company and the leadership of a company actually encourages people to connect on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. They will actually, the company will be more successful. Teams mm -hmm. will actually be more productive. Mm -hmm. So I do think it, you know, obviously we can't walk into the office and outpour everything that has happened in our lives. I mean, it's nobody just, wants to know everything. Right. But it also, you know, this past year, there, it would have been ridiculous for me to show up to, with my 13 employees every day and act like everything was okay. Right. And right. if I had done that, it would have prevented them from actually being able to be vulnerable and human and share some of their struggles so that they could actually breathe. Yeah. 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 No, I, I've done a lot of, uh, you know, talks remotely this year in companies and workshops and with students and, I think the most important message, the, mo the one that's resonated most is to start with the well-being of others. You know, so any conversation, any gathering, any meeting ought to begin with, you know, you don't need 45 minutes of therapy, uh, you know, it, as a kind of, you know, way to think about such an interaction, but simply, um, and I, I start all my classes and sessions with this, whether it's, you know, 600 people in Chile or, you know, 20 people in my class in, uh, you know, in, in Philadelphia. How are you feeling these days? And I and I ask them to put that in the chat, you know, whatever they're willing to reveal. And one of the things that's so powerful about that is that other people can then see what other people are saying and they feel like they're not alone. So they feel immediately connected to each other and that I'm setting a norm and, in, you know, opening an invitation for people to just say what, what's going on with them to the extent that they're willing to share that. And it's, uh, I, I don't know how I'm going to live without that tool, frankly, when I, when I go back to live presentations in classrooms, I got to figure out a workaround for that. Susan, you got any ideas for me? Because I can't yeah. help you there. <laughs> what? Say it again. I can't help you there. Well, think about it. You know, I will. I when you, will. If I go into, uh, you know, if I'm standing in front of 100 people, I can't just say, how are you feeling right now or these days? Because I don't have time to hear from 100 people, but I can do that in two minutes in the chat. And it's so powerful. It's so useful. I love that. Well, I, I that's I mean, I've taken time to, to share that that you know, practice because I thought it would be a, of, of some interest to you, but also I'm, Absolutely. I'm, I'm look, I'm, I'm desperate for a solution for that. I promise you, I will think about it. All right. Well, yeah. So there I've, exp I've expressed a need for help. Yes. And, and I, and I, you know, and this is something your audience needs to know. People don't have to feel, they don't have to have answer right away. Yeah. Okay? Ah, okay. This is not, this is not like, immediate okay and this is over time these are relationships that build over time you know when i when you said i i will think about it i totally believe you let me remind listeners this is work and life on business radio sirius xm 132 i'm your host Stu friedman i'm speaking with susan mcpherson she's the author of the lost art of connecting find it people the gather ask do method for building meaningful relationships uh, we all need to be better at this. That's for sure. And it's never too late to start. Um, yes. And I believed you, Susan, because uh, of, of all that you have presented here and, and your systematic, natural superpower approach to paying attention when people are telling you that there's something that they, they want help with. Um, well, you know, remote 
communication, which you have been living on is the, like the rest of us, it's not like our hearts and minds are disconnected. You know, we're, we're connecting right now, even if we're not in the same physical space. So what if we learned about, about these tools that we ought to not forget as we go back to, you know, post-pandemic a world, which of course will be a new world and nobody can predict exactly what it's going to look like, but what are the lessons you're going to hold on to? You know, from a magical perspective and a silver lining, you're able to cross borders geographically yeah. like you've never been able before. I mean, uh, every one of us had a birthday this year. And, you know, how many times in your life during your birthday were friends able to join from, you know, Europe and Australia at the same time? Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I, I sound really trite making that a, a big deal, but it is a big deal. You know, I, um, and 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 we're able to also have access to people like we've never been before. Mm. Okay, um, you know, it, and it's not that people have had more time because obviously this it, it, people are nonstop busy. But when you take out the commuting time, there is a little bit more time in the day to take those meetings where people want to learn something from you, mm-hmm. gain something from interacting with you that perhaps you weren't able to get before. So you yeah. know. That's, as we go back to some sort of hybrid, I do believe that that could potentially be a good thing that we carry through and we continue to utilize. And I did mention that, you know, taking advantage of the chat function. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I always do when I'm invited to, you know, various uh, Zoom events is I take a photo of everybody with their names. And then as a follow-up, when I have time, I look them up and actually do a little research and find out about them. And the ones that might be potentially meaningful to to me or that I can be helpful to them, I will follow through and say, we were at an event together. And Mm -hmm. I just want to say hello and find out a little bit more about you. And if there's things I can be helpful to you in your in your profession. That is a professional speaking people that that's how you do it. I wish I had that discipline. So for people like me who don't have that as a natural born superpower, how, what, what do you say? What's the advice you give? Number one, try it. Okay. Just try it once. No, I have, I, I have right. over right. the years because I've been teaching a version of this that I learned from uh, the great Wayne Baker, uh, who's a professor at the university of Michigan, who's written about this topic and social capital. And you know, so I, I've, 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 I've tried to learn it, but it's not something that occurs to me naturally. So yes, try it. And I I believe in the power of threes, you know, when you're at these events and zoom gatherings and this and that, and even when we're back in the real world, go with the idea that you're going to meet three people, share three ideas and learn three things. Hmm. And if you use that, that is palatable. That is tolerable. You can handle threes. Yeah. And so to me, that might be something, um, something that, you can actually start doing now and and just try it because you may what what has to happen is you have to see the benefit on the other side or there's you're you're not going to do it right i mean it's just like you know any kind of behavior change right we have to understand that there's going to be a, an upside to it or there's no point of course well you know recalling what you were saying at the beginning of our conversation about how you convince kids who are just starting out that you need this, <laughs> even even though you might not feel it now because you're invulnerable and the future is yours and nothing bad could happen. But actually, you need people and you need to be developing relationships because it's on you to do that. Unless you're born with a silver spoon and you have everything and it's all given to you. But even then, yes. you need it. And the thing is, is when you are living a life of offering help, when you need help, guess what? People come to help you. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm often asked, you know, Susan, how are you always helping everybody? You know, don't you get exhausted? And the thing is, is it's not all me doing the helping. What has happened is, is I have this, and I hate to say this because it sounds like Mitt Romney and his binder full of people or binders full of women. Uh Uh-oh. The notion is I have, I have people that I can tap to ask for help, to refer people to. So when somebody says, Susan, do you know an expert in coral restoration or Susan, do you know an expert in ant extermination? I, I don't know if I know that person, but I generally can find that person and tap into them. So it isn't necessarily the work that I have to do. 
No, it's connecting, right, to yeah. the people that you know and being mindful of, of who it is that you do know. Uh, all of this built on the principle of reciprocity, right, that we want to help those people who we see as being helpful to us or to the people that we care about. Yeah. And, and that's the reputation that you want to cultivate. So, you know, many people, and you probably encounter this in your work, um, think of creating networks as, as an icky, selfish thing. Right. Ooh, I'm not a networker. That's for, you know, business school students. I would never do that. Uh, How do do you deal with that kind of uh, resistance or inhibition to take ideas seriously? I I really delineate the line between networking and what I'm putting forth. All right. I'm not anti-networking. I've had to do it my whole life. But if you think back what I mentioned earlier about the power of three, I don't think of that as networking. I think of that as having three meaningful actions that come out of an event, or actually nine. Meet three people, share three things about yourself, and learn three things about others, okay? So to me, that is the, 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 the way to walk into these rooms, whether they're the you know job interview rooms or the the virtual rooms we're stuck in for the next few months. You, you just wrote a piece uh, in HBR about bringing your authentic self to work. What, yes. what advice do you have about how much to share or what kinds of things to share about yourself that, you know, th- that builds relationships and doesn't put people off? Yeah, well, it's going to be, it's, it's very individual and independent. And it also obviously depends on what the structure of the workforce that you are at. Mm-hmm. I very much turn the pressure on business leaders to create um, ecosystems that are safe for people to be themselves. Okay. Mm-hmm. And obviously some people are going to feel safer being open than others for all the reasons we know and life experiences. But I, I think you have to read the room and see what is obviously the existing norm. And if there is a quote unquote HR or any, you know, I mean, again, it depends on the size and complexity of the company, but I think it's an opportunity for you to set the stage and say, I want to create an employee working group around a particular issue that I'm passionate about. Hmm. Okay. Whether, you know, it's, it's uh, the culture from what country I'm from to, you know, a, a you know, I'm just, I'm just blue skying here or, or something, you know, a particular cause you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, those are ways to bring, you know, your, your personal self to work without being, you know, talking about your, your intimate physical life. Mm-hmm. So where are, where are the lines that people should be, you know, drawing in terms of what to reveal, what not to reveal? Do you have any guidance on that? I think it is again, and I don't mean to keep putting, it has to be what is comfortable for that human. And we all know people who are much more comfortable sharing much more. And we also know people who, who are, you know, completely buttoned up. Um, The ones who are buttoned up are missing out on opportunities to more deeply connect, but you can't, you can't force somebody to open up. Can you give an example of something that you would say that wouldn't like be a normal thing that somebody might say in a public setting that, that, you know, demonstrates who you are as a person? Well, to give you an example, this past year, I would open a meeting saying I was up all night crying. Hmm. Okay. I might not have been able to do that in the nineties because at that point in time, if a woman cried at the office, you know, she was banished basically. Hmm. Um, Also I'm in a position of power uh, at my company. I run it. Hmm. Um, But by doing that, I not only gave everyone else that quote unquote permission to be themselves and be vulnerable to me, but also to the, to each other. And that helped really create a deeper vibrancy between each employee. Mm. And I wasn't, I I wasn't being manipulative doing that. It was this reality of the situation that we are in. Okay. So that's an example not every, I'm not recommending that to everyone, right? You, you may not be in a situation where you literally can do that and keep your job, right? I mean, I, right. I want to be realistic. I mean, I am in a privileged situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those who run companies and, and are not, uh, or are oblivious to the fact that this is a very trying time mm-hmm. and you're not creating space for people to be themselves and to connect at a deeper level, you're missing just an opportunity that is going to create 
employee or, or, or build an environment where employees want to come to work and want to stay there. Yeah. Well, I take from your example, um, which I don't have time to follow up on now to find out what it is that was upsetting to you, but, but that's not that's necessary. necessary. Uh, what's important here is that your example illustrates that anyone can reveal some aspect of themselves that brings them closer to the people around them. Um, Susan, we have to wrap up here. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. How can uh, our listeners find out more about your work in addition to your book, The Lost Art of Connecting? Of course. Well, first of all, the website for the book is thelostartofconnecting.com. And the book is available anywhere books are sold. Um, you can find me on all the interwebs at Susan McP1. You can email me at Susan at McPstrategies.com. And of course, my company's website is McPherson Strategies. And I encourage people to reach out, to engage. Um, I'm a little crazed over the next several weeks because of the book tour. But after that, hopefully I will come up for air and, and have uh, more meaningful conversations. Thank you for that information and for producing this book and for sharing uh, your wisdom with us today, Susan. Really appreciate it. Love it. Thank you, Stu. It was a joy. And thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to tune in next week at 5 p.m. Eastern. And if you have a question about something you heard on today's show, you can simply email me. I'm Friedman at wharton.upenn.edu. Our station is business radio at SiriusXM.com. And you can follow our show on Twitter at SXM Business. I am at Stu Friedman. And you can find edited versions of these shows as free podcasts a little bit after they air on SiriusXM at TotalLeadership.org, where you can also find all kinds of free resources, videos, book chapters, articles, and more about how our company helps create harmony and better performance in all parts of life. Thanks, Patty Hall, for producing. Our sound engineer is Chris Tooks. I'm Stu Friedman. You've been listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132.